0: Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. This week, speaker, Pastor Steve Benninger delivers a message entitled, Was Jesus a Muslim? You can find the sermon outline and video for this message at enewlife.com or the New Life Church Kahana mobile app. Begin a new series today in the book of John. Today's passage is John chapter 1, verses 1 to 34. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed. And did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now they had been sent by the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan. Where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel.
1: One day last summer, I was being a good husband, which I try to do every so often, and uh, I took my wife's van up the road here to the Giant Eagle, to the uh, vacuum station there, to vacuum out her car and make it all nice and clean for her. And as I did, I pulled in next to a car that had a very intriguing bumper sticker on the back, and it said this, Jesus is alive, and he's a Muslim. And I pulled in, and I kind of had this little debate in my mind, should I go over and strike up a conversation about that, or should I just do what I came here to do? Well, I did decide to risk it, and uh, there was a young man in uh, traditional Muslim attire there. He was leaning in, vacuuming out his car, and I just kind of interrupted him and said, hey, I'm Steve, and I, I couldn't help but notice your bumper sticker. So I just want to say that I love that first part that says that Jesus is alive. I told him, I said, I'm a Christian, and And I certainly believe that, and I'm glad to know you believe it as well. I said, but that second part, Jesus being a Muslim, that that has me a little bit confused. Would you mind just taking a few moments and explaining that to me? And I found that he was more than agreeable to that, even eager to talk with me about that. And what followed was a, a pretty intense conversation that included me sitting in his car with him, And talking for about 40 minutes. At one point I was questioning him about Jesus and he was kind of stumped and he pulled out his cell phone and he called up his mentor, his imam, and then he handed me the phone. He said, here, talk to him. (laughs) And uh, to say the least, me and this imam had a very spirited, lively conversation about the Bible and God and Jesus and Muhammad and it was very stimulating and really got my adrenaline pumping. When I eventually did get back to my vacuuming job, I smoked it in about two minutes flat. I mean, I was just fired up. You know, ever since that day, I've been uh, thinking back about that conversation and the claim that those two guys were making that Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet of Islam who taught people to worship Allah and to obey him. You're a guest with us today. Again, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And I would have to say, I don't know where you're at when it comes to this notion that Jesus was a Muslim. Maybe you agree with that. Maybe you disagree with it. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you wonder if it even matters what people believe about that. What I'd like to attempt to do in this sermon is present what Islam and particularly what the Quran teach about Jesus and then compare it with what the Bible teaches. As Jim said, we're starting a brand new sermon series today in the New Testament book of John. And if the book of John does anything, it presents a fascinating portrait of Jesus of Nazareth. And it pictures him through the eyes of people who actually knew him. Who walked with him and talked with him and ate with him and hung out with him back in the first century. But Before I get into that, I, I, I feel that I need to offer a few disclaimers First. Um, I've been a student of the Bible for about 37 years, but in no way am I an expert on the topic of Islam. There are many others who are far more qualified than I am to speak on that topic, and I've listed a few of them for you along with some resources on that little tear-off section of your worship folder. So if you're interested in pursuing this more, studying up, and reflecting on this after we're done here, I hope that those will be some helpful resources for you. And then I think I should say I'm, I'm not today going to attempt to speak on all of the wide range of political and social and religious issues that arise from what's going on in our world these days. That's really outside the scope of what I'm honing in on. Uh, my purpose today is to the best of my ability seek to answer two questions, okay? And the first is, how is Jesus presented in the Quran? And how does that compare with what we find in the opening chapter of the New Testament Gospel of John. In other words, are the Jesus of the Quran and the Jesus of the Bible the same Jesus? That's where I'm headed. First, I think it's helpful to understand the timeline here. Muslims believe that the Quran, the sacred text of Islam, was revealed by Allah to Muhammad through the angel Gabriel From 609 to 632 A.D. So gradually over the period of about 23 years, that revelation is said to have been given to Muhammad. So note that the Quran came into existence more than 550 years after the apostles penned the New Testament in the mid-first century. So the New Testament was written first. The Quran came about half a millennium later. And everybody agrees that it draws heavily from the writings of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I want you to keep that in mind as we walk through this together. So let's, let's dive in. Here's the question. What does the Quran say about Jesus? Let me give you several things. First, you need to know that Jesus is referred to many times in the Quran. Over 90 references to Jesus. 25 of those refer to him as Isa. Did you know that? That's what he has called it often in the Quran, Isa. For example, Surah 287 says, We gave Jesus, Esau, the son of Mary, clear signs and supported him with Gabriel. Uh, Surah 547 says this, And in their footsteps we sent Jesus, Isa, the son of Mary, confirming the Torah that had come before him, and we gave him the gospel in which was guidance and light. So note that the Quran speaks favorably about Jesus of Nazareth. Speaks about him in an honoring way. Jesus is not disparaged by most Muslim people. He's generally highly regarded and, and even revered. And so is Mary, his mother, to whom you see the references there in the Quran. The Quran clearly teaches, number two, that Jesus, Isa, was born of the Virgin Mary through the word of Allah. The Muslim website, islamguide.com, notes this. The Quran confirms Jesus' virgin birth. And an entire chapter of the Quran is entitled, Maryam, which means Mary. The Quran describes the birth of Jesus as follows. This is from Surah 345-47. It says this. Remember when the angel said, O Mary, God gives you good news of a word from him. Here's the good news whose name is the Messiah Jesus, Son of Mary, revered in this world and the hereafter, and one of those brought near to God. He, Jesus, will speak to the people from his cradle, talk about that in a minute, and as a man, and he is of the righteous. And she said, my Lord, how can I have a child when no mortal has touched me? And he said, so it will be. God creates what he wills. If he decrees a thing, he says to it only be, and it is. And Those of you who know your Bibles can hear some echoes of the New Testament there, can't you? The very same Muslim website says, Jesus was born miraculously by the command of God. The same command that had brought Adam into being with neither a father or a mother. God has said in Surah 359, The case of Jesus with God is like the case of Adam. He created him from dust, and then he said to him, Be, and he came into being. So, the Quran speaks often of Jesus. It refers to him as the son of Mary. But number three, he's not referred to as the son of God, or even the son of Allah. In fact, to contend that Allah has a son would be blasphemous to a Muslim, the Quran expressly de- denies this in many places, such as Surah 39.4. says this, Had Allah wished to take to himself a son, he could have chosen whom he pleased out of those whom he doth create. But glory be to him, he is above such things. He is Allah, the one, the irresistible. Or Surah 6.101. He, speaking of Allah, is the originator of the heavens and the earth. How can he have children when he has no wife? He created all things, and he is the all-knower of everything. So Jesus is not referred to or seen or viewed as the Son of Allah. Number four, he was not God in the flesh in Islam teaching. And the Trinity doesn't exist in the teaching of the Quran. The Muslim website, soundvision.com, helping tomorrow's Muslims today, says this. Do Muslims believe in the Trinity? No. No. Muslims believe in the absolute oneness of God, oneness of God, who is a supreme being, free of human limitations, needs, and wants. He has no partners in his divinity. Allah says this in the Quran regarding the Trinity. Listen, this is really interesting. Surah 4, 171. People of the book. Who's that? That's Jews and Christians. People of the book, do not exceed the limits of your religion and attribute to God nothing except the truth. The Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, was only a messenger of God and his command that he conveyed unto Mary and a spirit from him. So believe in God and in his messengers and do not say God is a trinity. Give up this assertion. It would be better for you. God is indeed just one God. So Muslims are mono. They believe in one God. They deny the Trinity. Some of them misunderstand the Trinity. Some early Muslims thought that the Christian Trinity consisted of father, son, and mother. Probably because Mary had been elevated such by the Catholic Church at the time. But They deny the Christian concept of the Trinity. What they believe, number five, is that Jesus was a man. He was sent as a messenger of Allah. And he was one of many prophets of Islam. Sent to proclaim belief in Allah and submission to his will. And many of you know that the word Islam means submission. It means to submit. And Muslims contend that Jesus was a Muslim in this sense. That he submitted to the will of Allah. And that he came to serve him and to deliver his message to the people. They believe that Jesus was a prophet. In fact, the sixth of seven major prophets in Islam. The website whyislam.org tells us that the prophet Muhammad was commanded to recite this. This is Surah 384. Say, we believe in God and that which was revealed unto us and that which was revealed unto Abraham and Ishmael. That's interesting. They view Ishmael as one of the prophets and Isaac and Jacob and the tribes and that which was entrusted unto Moses and Jesus and the prophets from their Lord. We make no distinction between any of them, and unto him, that's Allah, we have submitted. So in the view of Islam, all of these prophets were equal, no distinction among them, and they all called the people to believe in the one true God, Allah, and to worship and obey him. Listen to Surah 572. Listen to this. Surely they have disbelieved who say, Allah is the Messiah, Isa, son of Mary. So Allah and Jesus are not the same. But the Messiah, Isa said, O children of Israel, worship Allah, my Lord and your Lord. Truly, whoever sets up partners in worship with Allah, creating other members of the Godhead, then has been forbidden paradise to him, and the fire will be his abode. This website also contends that Muhammad was the last of the prophets, of Allah's prophets, and it was through him the entire mission of prophethood was fulfilled. It also states that Muhammad's coming, Muhammad's coming, was prophesied by Moses. That's what uh, Muslims believe. Back in Deuteronomy 18, 18, when God told Moses that he would raise up a prophet like you from among your brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, they say, that's Muhammad. And so in the, in, 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 in the scheme of Islam, Jesus is inferior to Muhammad. Do you see that? He's a, he's a lesser prophet. They do believe, number six, that Jesus performed miracles. The Quran ascribes to Jesus many of the same miracles that we find in our gospel accounts, plus some found in other ancient writings like the Apocrypha. For example, in Surah 349, Jesus is talking to the people and he says this. These are the words of Jesus now. I have come to you with a sign from your Lord. I make for you the shape of a bird out of clay. I breathe into it, and it becomes a bird by God's permission. So here's a miracle of Jesus claimed by the Quran. Jesus took this clay bird and breathed on it, and it animated and came alive and flew away. He also said, I heal the blind from birth and the leper, I bring the dead to life by God's permission. And I tell you what you eat and what you store in your houses. So they believe he had the ability to peer into people's homes and see what was going on in there. There's another account in the Quran that records that baby Jesus, laying in the cradle, I mentioned this earlier, actually spoke. An infant now in a cradle, speaking intelligently, probably startled some of the people who were there. Hear this coming out of the lips of a little baby. He is said to have said this, I am indeed a servant of God. He has given me the book and made me a prophet. Check out Surah 19 for the account of that very interesting occurrence. Now, while there are a few agreements between Islam and Christianity when it comes to Jesus, the virgin birth and so forth, here's a major difference. Muslims believe, number seven, that Jesus did not die on the cross. And This was the point in my discussion with the young Muslim fella when he decided to call up his imam to talk with me because I was sharing with him the truths of the Christian gospel message that includes Jesus dying on the cross as an atonement for our sins. And when I was talking with the imam and, and sharing that with him, he just kind of cut me off and interrupted me and he said, look, Jesus didn't die. Jesus didn't die on the cross. It did not happen. Allah came and rescued him in that moment and took him on up to heaven. He didn't die. That's just a deception that Christians believe. Well, he was just supporting the teaching of the Quran. Islamguide.com says, Muslims believe that Jesus was not crucified. Yes, it had been the plan of Jesus' enemies to crucify him, but God came and saved him and raised him up to heaven with him. And the likeness of Jesus was put over another man, and Jesus' enemies took that man and crucified him, thinking that he was Jesus. You say, where did they get that from? They get it from Surah 4, 157, a key text in the Quran. Listen. They said, this is speaking of Jewish people, they said, We killed the Messiah Jesus, Son of Mary, the messenger of God. They did not kill him, nor did they crucify him, but the likeness of him was put on another man, and they killed that man. Now, when I found that out, my question was probably your question. Well, then, who was hanging on the cross? Who who was crucified? And Muslim scholars have put forward several opinions. Some say it was Simon of Cyrene. Remember the man who picked up Jesus' cross when he fell under the weight of it? Some say it was him who had his appearance changed somewhat to look like Jesus and he was crucified. Others, many actually contend that it was actually Judas who was crucified instead of Jesus, that up in the upper room, Judas had volunteered to somehow have his appearance changed into the likeness of Jesus so that he could be executed in Jesus' place. They say that Jesus offered him the promise of paradise if he would go through with this, ruse. When I heard that, I thought, that's just kind of ironic to me. The betrayer substituting for the substitute. Think about that. Other opinions have been offered as to who was actually put to death, but the bottom line is this. Muslims deny that Jesus ever died on the cross. Of course, that means that the Christian belief that Jesus was the sinless Son of God who came and lived a perfect life and then died as a sacrificial substitute to atone for our sins, that teaching is foreign to the teaching of Islam. In speaking about human accountability for sins, Surah 6 164 says this Listen, no bearer of burdens will bear the burden of another, no substitution allowed when it comes to accountability for sins. The Quran does not put forth any need for blood sacrifice, but simply says that if Allah chooses, he can forgive sins. If he wants to. Substitutionary atonement is not necessary for him to be able to do that. And Allah's ultimate pardoning of sins and granting entrance into paradise is based on his assessment of a Muslim's life and obedience and loyalty and faithfulness during the course of their life. Muslims understand, listen, that theirs is a works-based religious system. They understand that. It's confirmed by the teaching of the Quran. Surah 23 makes this very clear. Listen to this. Surah 23, 102 and 103. Picture a set of scales now. And those whose scales are heavy with good deeds, it is they who are the successful, But those whose scales are light, those are the ones who have lost their souls being in hell, abiding eternally. And so in Islam, your acceptance by Allah is based on your performance. It's conditional. And it's based on the will of Allah in that moment. Now, obviously, if Jesus didn't really die then it follows that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead either. And that's number eight. As Surah 4, 157 said, he was taken up to Allah and rescued from having to die on the cross in execution. So Muslims do believe in the ascension of Christ, just not a post-death, post-resurrection ascension. It was more like what happened to Elijah when he was just... Whisked away to heaven, just taken up. That's more of what they would say happened. The bumper sticker said, Jesus is alive and he's a Muslim. And so Muslims believe that Jesus is alive. But number nine, they teach that he will return to earth one day. Jesus is coming back to fight the Antichrist and to help Muslims convert the world to Islam. Islam. Now, as I understand it, most of the information about the the Islamic view of the end times, or what we could call Islamic eschatology, comes from the Hadith, which are the recorded sayings of Muhammad, rather than from the Quran. And apparently, in their view, there is a coming day of resurrection when people will be raised from the grave and there will be the reward of paradise for the righteous, those who are loyal and faithful to Allah and judgment on all non-believers who were non-faithful to him. In their view, there are ten major signs, many minor signs as well, but ten major signs that will precede and lead up to that day of resurrection. And interestingly, one of those signs is that Jesus will return to earth. Isa will come back. They contend that he's going to touch down just outside of Damascus in Syria. He will come as still as a prophet of Allah, a Muslim, and he will essentially be second in command to their real Messiah, their long awaited, eagerly anticipated Messiah known as the Mahdi. The Mahdi is coming. Now, Sunnis and Shias have a little bit different view on who this Mahdi is and what his ancestry was. But all true adherents of Islam believe that the Mahdi is coming and he is their Islamic Messiah. Jesus will come and he will carry out the the orders of the Mahdi. And and when Jesus does come, it is said that Jesus will first make a pilgrimage to Mecca. And that when he's here, he will convert many Christians to Islam... While correcting their misconceptions about him. So Jesus is going to return. He's going to talk to Christians and explain how they were wrong about who he was. Then together with the Mahdi, they are going to defeat the false Messiah called the Antichrist. I wonder who that is. Kill the Jews. Claim Jerusalem and all of Israel for Islam. And the Hadith claims that Jesus and the Mahdi together are going to eliminate all other religions including breaking the cross. They're going to break the cross. What do you think that means? Do you think it could mean that Jesus is going to come and help abolish Christianity? Do you think it means that Jesus is going to come and have all crosses removed from every building and every home? Then the hadith reveals that Jesus and the Mahdi will establish Sharia law all across the globe and will make Islam the worldwide religion of all people. And that will usher in a season of peace. And Jesus is going to be allowed to to reign, to oversee a peaceful 40-year period, during which time he's going to get married and he's going to have some kids. And then it says Jesus will die and he's going to be buried in a tomb right next to Muhammad in the city of Medina. Medina. That is my understanding of what the Hadith reveals about the role of Jesus in the end times. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. I know this is a lot to take in all at once. It's going to take some time to process, isn't it? And to digest if this is new to you. I realize that. But I want us to take a little turn here now and I want us to open our Bibles or go to our Bible apps to John 1. Maybe you're still there from earlier. Because I want us to to seek to discern how this view of Jesus, this Muslim view of Jesus, compares and contrasts with the portrait that is presented in John's Gospel. Now, if you're a Christian, you do need to understand that Muslims believe that God's original revelation, Allah's original revelation, has been corrupted by Christians. That the early Christians tampered with it and messed with it. And so what you hold in your hands is not the actual revealed word of God. That's what Muslims believe. You need to understand that if you're a Christian. And you got to make your own decision about whether you believe that's true or not. But I would say this. If I embraced the version of Jesus that's presented in the Quran. Well yeah, I would have to say that the Christian scriptures have been messed with. And tampered with and corrupted because as we're going to see the portrait painted here in John stands in stark contrast to the Muslim Jesus. And what we have here in the first 34 verses of John's gospel is the testimony of two men both named John. We have the recorded written testimony of John and John. And to distinguish them we'll say John the disciple and John the Baptist. John the disciple, one of the closest friends of Jesus when he walked this earth. John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus who grew up with him and ended up baptizing him. And both of them lived with Jesus, ate with Jesus, knew Jesus, hung out with Jesus. And we're going to see they both gave recorded testimony of what they concluded about him after having lived with him. What we're going to find in the book of John is there's a lot of legal language in John. Lots of talk about testifying and giving testimony and being a witness and bearing witness. And that's because John's aim was to build a case. An airtight, legal case, ironclad for who Jesus really was. We're going to see that more clearly in the upcoming weeks. Here in chapter 1, John the disciple who wrote this account leads out, And he puts his own testimony first. Go figure. I guess if you're writing the gospel account, you can start with your testimony, right? And here's what he said. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. And this life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9 the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And this is the testimony of John the disciple. It has several elements to it. First, John the disciple, who knew Jesus, who hung out with Jesus, believed that Jesus was the uncreated, pre existing, eternal, living Word, fully God. Who participated in the creation of the world? In the beginning was the Word. You say, when was the beginning? Well, ever, however far back you want to go, John seeks to place Jesus there and then. And it's no accident. I don't believe that this passage has some similarities to the first verse in the Bible, John one, 1 or excuse me, Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created. The heavens and the earth. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. He was God. All things were made through him. John's equating the two. He's placing Jesus at the beginning, participating in creation. Plus, I think it's intriguing to think about why John refers to Jesus as the word. Now, in the Greek, that was the word logos. You've heard of that word, Perhaps. Logos was an interesting concept. It was a concept both in Greek philosophy. The Logos was the logical reason behind everything. Logos was also a concept in Hebrew thought. It was the expression of God's character and His creative power. Think about it. How did God create? With His word. He spoke and things came into existence. And so John introduces his readers to someone that he calls the Word. And who exactly is this person he's speaking of? By by verse 14, there's no doubt, is there? It's Jesus. The uncreated, pre-existing, eternal, living expression of God. The ultimate reason behind everything. The creator of the world. Verses 1 and 2, John contends... That Jesus was God and also was with God. This of course is the mysterious teaching of the Bible. That God is both one and more than one. Actually three. And that teaching has been referred to as the Trinity. And Muslims cannot abide by this teaching. And I believe they misunderstand it as well. As I mentioned earlier. Some of them have thought that the Christian Trinity was father, son and mother Mary. Others Muslims have claimed that Christians are polytheists, that we worship multiple gods, because we say we worship Father, Son, and Spirit. But are we polytheists, Christians? Or are we monotheists? Do we say we worship many gods? No, we say we worship one God who expresses himself in three distinct personalities. You see, we believe there is a plurality in the Godhead, and this is found as early as Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. Elohim is the word. Elohim, and that suffix I am is analogous to RS. It's plural. In the beginning, the plural God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1:26, let us make man in our image. Who's us? Who's us? The angels? No, man. mankind was not created in the image of the angels. That was an intra-Trinitarian conversation about creation. How can you be with God? The word was with God and the word was God. How can you be with someone and be them? The resolution of this seemingly contradictory thought is this. God is not one in the same way that he is three. God is one in essence, but three in personality. And John here is contending that Jesus is one of the three beings in existence who can claim Godhood. And he sets out in his book to prove it. That's what the book of John's all about. Third element of John's testimony, he believes that Jesus is the true source of life and light. And when he came into the world, he brought life and light with him. And we're going to see as we walk through the book of John together that Jesus claimed to be able to give people life. Physical life, spiritual life. We're going to see that he claimed to have the power to deliver people from darkness, from blindness, physical blindness, and spiritual blindness. John believed, number four, that Jesus was God in the flesh. Fully God and fully human. That when he came, he didn't leave Godhood behind, but he added humanity to his Godhood. Who came to reveal what God is really like. Verse 14, and the word became what? Flesh. He put skin on. He became one of us, Emmanuel, God with us, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, John wrote. Glory as of the only son. That's the Greek word monogenes, the unique son. Jesus is a son in the way no other man is a son of God. Glory as of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Do you see that? John is calling Jesus God. Muslims are going to choke on that verse. They're going to say it's been corrupted, tampered with, twisted, changed. You have to decide if you're going to believe that or not. John said, we have seen his glory. And I think of that time when Jesus took three of his closest buddies, closest friends, up a mountain. Took him on a hike one day. And he got up to a certain place on the mountain, and he said, guys, um, I want you to see who I really am. And he pulled aside for a few moments the robe of his flesh and he showed them who he really was. Peter, James, and John. It says in Matthew 17 that his face shone like the sun, that his clothes were, became as white as light and it blew him away. And John was there. John was an eyewitness to that event, and so he could write, we have seen his glory. Do not try to convince John that Jesus wasn't God. He saw his glory. He saw his essence. He saw what emanated from his being, that brilliant, white, dazzling, blinding light. He knew who Jesus was. So can you already see the contrast between John's Jesus and the Muslim version of Jesus? They're quite different. Fifth, John believed that Jesus, the word made flesh, came offering himself to all who would receive him for who he was, graciously bringing believing sinners into the family of God. Here's what he said, verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's pretty sad, isn't it? But, verse 12, to all who did receive him, and there were some, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 16, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. One reason I'm a Christian and not a Muslim is because of the glorious, exalted picture of Jesus presented in the Bible That draws me to worship him. That when you see Jesus, when you're given eyes to behold Jesus, he is so captivating that the only response that makes any sense is to fall down on your knees and worship him and say, I'm yours, Jesus, I'm yours. Take all of me. You deserve everything I am. That's the picture of Jesus, the portrait of him presented in the scriptures. Did you notice John's statement that Jesus was full of grace and truth? That's a rare combination, isn't it? I mean, you got truth people, right? You know, hard-nosed, intense truth people. And then you got grace people who just want to love everyone all the time. And Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. A rare combination. He was the lion and the lamb. He was mighty and meek, full of grace and truth. You see, John knew that this Jesus would one day lay down his life for the forgiveness of our sins, an unbelievably amazing and sacrificial act of love that would both uphold the truth of God's holiness while simultaneously expressing grace to undeserving sinners like me and like you, full of grace and truth who would have thought that the young man from Galilee would be all of this and more this is the testimony of John the friend the good friend John the disciple but adding to the weight of his words is the witness of the other John briefly we'll look at this that was John the Baptist the cousin of Jesus he's introduced to us in verse 6 there was a man sent from God whose name was John he came as a what witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him he was not the light but he came to bear witness about the light verse 20 he confessed and did not deny but confessed i am not the christ so we see that john the baptist was insistent that that he was not the messiah but he deflected attention and praise to the one who was See, John the Baptist was that hot, new, young preacher in town who was was like Donald Trump. He was drawing all the big crowds. And they were coming out to hear John. But can you see how careful he was, how careful he was to redirect people's attention to the light? Second, he claimed to only be the promised herald, the forerunner, the announcer, who would prepare the way for the Messiah. He readily declared that Jesus was superior to him. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now wait, John, you're older than Jesus. How could Jesus be before you? Well, <laughs> he knew who Jesus was. Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Verse 26, John answered them. Some people had come out to inquire of him. He answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. In other words, it is not about me. I thank you all for coming. I thank you for listening to me. I thank you for your attention. But it's actually not about me. I'm just here to till the soil, to prepare the way, to get people ready to announce his arrival. And then John one twenty nine. the next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There he is. Follow him. <laughs> Thanks for coming, but follow him. He is the promised sacrificial lamb whose lifeblood will be spilled to atone for our sins before God. And if you're here today as a guest of us, and if you're a Muslim person here sitting in this room today, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for risking it and coming. But I got to challenge you if you're a Muslim to consider John's testimony here that Jesus was God's spotless lamb. That just as Isaiah 53 of the Old Testament predicted that he would be slaughtered for our sins and crushed in our place because we had gone astray. We'd broken God's holy law. We'd gone our own way. Listen, please understand this understanding of Jesus as the sacrificial lamb is central to our faith as Christians. But in your faith, it's absent in the Islam teaching. You see, the Christian Jesus was not just a prophet, but a sin remover, a wrath satisfier, a sinless substitute, a sacrificial lamb slaughtered in our place to atone for our sins so that we could be right with God. That's our Jesus. That's the Jesus of Christianity. And John the Baptist testified of this. He also, number four, testified that God the Father had spoken directly to him and identified Jesus as his son. Verse 32, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. What event is he talking about? The baptism of his cousin, Jesus. I myself did not know him, verse 33. I think what he meant was, I did not recognize that my cousin was the Messiah until that moment. But he who sent me, that's God, to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And so John the Baptist's testimony corroborates that of John the disciple. That their friend, his cousin, came from God and was indeed the Son of God, God the Son. And so, knowing these things, humanity is faced with a choice. You're faced with a choice now. Will you subscribe to and embrace the portrait of Jesus found in the Quran? and embraced by Islam, or will you believe the testimony of these two men who lived with Jesus, who observed him firsthand, who were eyewitnesses of his life, who talked with him, walked with him, ate with him, and then recorded their conclusions about him in the Bible? It's an important choice. It's a supremely important choice for us that determines everything about your life here and now and your eternity. Eternity. But now I've been told that many Muslims find it easy to discount what other people in the Bible said about Jesus and they're inclined to primarily believe what Jesus himself said. So the red letters. So I want to leave you for your consideration with the words that came from Jesus' own lips. Did Jesus agree with the assessment of John and John? Listen. For this is the will of my Father... That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. That you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. To some antagonists one day, he said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Claiming the name of God of Yahweh for himself. And they got it because the next verse says they picked up stones to stone him. They understood what he was saying. My Muslim friend said, Jesus never claimed to be God. I said, what? What? John 14, 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. That's all we need to know. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? and You still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. Don't you say that, by the way. That would not be a good thing to say if you're not God. But Jesus could say it. Do you not think that these words from the lips of Jesus beg for a response? He was at times heard to ask people, Who do you say that I am? It's a key question. Who do you say that I am? What would be your response to that question? Well, here in our church, whenever we hear the word of God preached, we believe that there should be a response. And so today especially those of you who are new, I want you to know that I'm going to call for a response. And I got to thinking, well, what could be some of the responses to what we've heard today? And what I'd like you to do is pull back out that little white card and open it up to that inside flap, and I'm going to have you write one of four letters, or maybe a couple would apply. So if you wrote the letter A, that could be your response of saying, I already believe this. I already believe it. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so I'm writing my response as an A. I hope there might be some here today who would write a B. And a B represents, I'm believing today. I get it. I, I, I see it. I become convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God the Son. I'm believing today. But maybe you have questions. And so... And you'd be willing to talk with someone about that. C stands for just contact me. Please have somebody contact me. I got some questions. I need some dialogue about this. Leave us your email or your cell number and we'll have somebody contact you. And D means I will definitely return. So <laughs> it apply to you who are guests. I'm, I'm going to come back next week. Definitely, I'm going to continue exploring the true identity of Jesus. I hope that you will. Let me pray for us. Father God, it is to you, I pray now, but it is in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who's seated at your right hand, who after he sacrificed himself, was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and is preparing a place for his people. Thank you so much for the truth that you have revealed to us. I thank you for all of these precious people. Lord, I pray that Today would be a day when there would be um, light, illumination, enlightening as to the true essence and nature of this one, Jesus. Lord, through your spirit, may each of us respond to the word of God that we have heard this morning, and may our lives follow accordingly. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's word and seek to know him better through the gospel. Our prayer is that the gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.